Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And today we're going to discuss Ahimsa, the fourth episode of the fourth season of Supergirl. So one of the big things that happened in this episode that changed things up a little bit was we got the introduction of some new characters, including Manchester Black, who is a character from the DC Comics universe. Mm -hmm. And we had gotten a tease that he was coming while Jean was trying to look into Fiona's disappearance last week. So it was neat to see them run into each other and get to play off of each other. But one of the other really important things that happened with Manchester Black was he introduces the concept Ahimsa, which is the title of the episode. And you had done a little bit of looking into what that concept is. Yeah, Ahimsa is this virtue seen across various Asian religions, such as Jainism, Buddhism, and Hinduism, which was referenced within this episode. And within the episode, they refer to it as kind of nonviolence. But it means not to injure and and compassion. And someone who might be recognizable popularly is Gandhi, who back in the 30s went on the salt march to make his own salt to protest the British salt tax, popularizing sit-ins as a form of protest. Nonviolent resistance movements. Yes. Civil disobedience. So that concept of causing no injury. And within the sort of virtue across these various religions, it means physically, but also like mentally or emotionally causing no injury. And I thought it was kind of comparable to like first do no harm. And within the episode, it was cool to see this concept applied in various ways and in kind of a direct oppositional way with the villains who were mind controlling aliens and forcing them to attack people. And very definitely causing harm to everyone. Yes. But the specific phrasing that Brainy used to describe it jumped out at me when I was thinking about this concept of doing no harm. He said, aliens being mind controlled with no instinct to protect themselves only harm others. So it was like the complete opposite of this idea. Well, yeah, but he also specifically worded it that way to mention that they wouldn't have any survival instinct to stop causing damage. That they would, like, even if Kara hit them, they wouldn't try to hide, essentially, or, like, back off. Yeah. So it made their odds worse without Supergirl because yeah. they had no concept of self-preservation. And, you know, you hear stories about how people will lift up cars in times of, like, panic. And it's like they have a superpower, but that's because they have no self-preservation in the moment. It kind of overrides that instinct so that you'll even injure yourself doing stuff like that. And then apply that to somebody who already has powers and that would make them really dangerous. That is true. <laughs> And this ties into Jean's conflict for the episode, which was basically, you know, is his personal attempt to be a nonviolent person and to follow the path that his, his father wanted for him, is that having negative effects on a wider scale? Is that hurting people? It kind of ties in, though, with Kara and James then when you worded it that way, because it's kind of like inaction versus action, which ends up being more harmful in the long run. Yeah, which ties then into what Alex had said, which is pacifism doesn't mean inaction, that you can do things, you can be a force for good without necessarily being a violent force for good. Well, and I appreciate that you mentioned the tie-in to Asian religions and specifically Gandhi as a public figurehead of these kind of non-violent methods of protest because it ties in really nicely with where the season is going as far as looking at social conflicts and how you can use different kinds of strategies to combat issues like fear, hatred, and anger. Mm. Um, and then you'll see across the different characters and their, their various ways of tackling it. Someone like Kara. Kara has this concept of helping the most people 
kind of by whatever means necessary. We'll see her be almost like brutal in her ability to make decisions, you know, by sending Monel away. And it's it's difficult to convince her to place like a value over what she thinks will create the most good. <laughs> it's difficult for her to place other values over her own personal values. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but a way to that you would convince her maybe within the story would be like, let's say at the end of season three, when she decides to kill Rain because she thinks that's going to be the most good. Mm. And then she realizes when that goes horribly, that there are actual concrete negative effects. That's what solidifies what her values were before to try not to kill people and do it the right way according to what her beliefs are. And then this kind of butts heads with what Jean is going for right now, which is kind of living this life of nonviolence and trying to have faith that that in and of itself will have positive effects on a wider scale. Even though at the moment it sure doesn't feel that way. Yes. It was interesting then to see Manchester and how he lives his life by this concept of Ahimsa in kind of like a subtle way, like even in his fighting. Yeah. And when he's being attacked and he kind of has his hands, I think, in his pockets and is mostly dodging out of the way and letting momentum injure the person who's attacking him, which is like arguable whether or not you're really not causing injury. But I mean, he's not personally inflicting the harm. The other person is. (laughs) It's like you're hitting yourself. (laughs) Yeah. And it it kind of ties back to that, like, how much good is this really doing and how you apply it? Mm. this philosophy. And when Jean is kind of breaking from this idea of nonviolence, Manchester says, I'm not going to hit you, but he will. And Jean goes to hit him. So it's kind of like the value isn't so much about disapproving of nonviolence in general, but you yourself as a person not engaging in it, it seems. Yeah. Well, and it's important to remember, too, that he explains that he really only adopted this principle at all because of his relationship with Fiona. Mm-hmm. And that prior to that, he'd actually lived a very violent life. Uh, he specifically mentions getting his start as a football hooligan, which if you're not familiar with the uh, fan culture of soccer or football in the UK, it can get extremely violent and gang-like. He was very accurate in how he described it. Mm-hmm. And then we see when he loses her presence in his life, his willingness to follow this concept fades as well. It's true. Yeah. So this concept, like, you know, any philosophy has various interpretations. And even within Hinduism, there are different views of violence and whether a war can be just. And if you do believe that there's a just war, maybe certain practices that you engage in, kind of like Manchester, when he was not directly inflicting the violence, perhaps. And this all ties into this idea that, you know, you can still be a force for good in whatever way is possible. And that pacifism doesn't mean inaction. Well, and it's it's interesting that you have this concept of trying not to do harm throughout the episode. And you see a number of, of the characters struggling with how to be active participants when there's a conflict with very high stakes, such as the attack on the fairgrounds or just the general spread of hate and xenophobia to begin with. Because the other big theme of this episode was how people cope with fear and anger. Mm -hmm. And we saw a number of 
depictions in this episode of healthy and unhealthy coping mechanisms in the face of stress. And we saw pretty much every character trying to handle those emotions in some way throughout the course of the episode. Yeah, and that fear and anger concept ties back into the Ahimsa concept in a way, because I have this quote here that says, Jains believe that violence in thought and speech is as bad as physical violence, so they try to control things like anger, greed, pride, and jealousy. And you can see that idea reflected in a kind of concrete way with these characters. So, for example, you have the entire setup of the episode is because Mercy, Otis, and Agent Liberty are trying to deliberately instill fear in people. At one point towards the end of the episode, you have Mercy outright explain what their motivation is. They are, in the way that many extremist and terrorist organizations do, actively going out and staging attacks in order to make people afraid. Because when people are afraid and they're in that kind of instinctual fight or flight mode, they won't necessarily pause and think about their decisions. They're not weighing the costs and the benefits of their actions in the same way that they would if they were more calm and they had more time to come up with a reasonable response. So because they're creating all of this chaos between poisoning the air with kryptonite and staging all these forced alien attacks, they are actually putting every other main character in a position where they have to kind of confront their own fear, their own anger and Mm self-doubt. So we already kind of started talking about Jean because he had the most kind of overt display of conflicting emotions and really a struggle to contain them with the way he kept getting really angry. Mm -hmm. Physically, he crushed some metal. Which we sometimes forget he can do. So that was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you noticed that it was kind of reminiscent of Kara in Midvale in the flashback. Yeah, it reminded me of the scene in the cafeteria where she gets mad about the bullies picking on Kenny, but she can't do anything about it at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's also comparable to in season one when Kara was dealing with anger in Red Faced. Yes. Yeah, so Jean throughout this episode was dealing with these really intense feelings of anger that were, as we said, very reminiscent of the way Kara feels a lot of the time. And so it was neat to see him confronting that problem without her being so present in the episode for them to play off of each other. Mm. And then it was a similarly very nice circle that he came back to talk to Alex about it. (laughs) Yeah. Because she's kind of the person who completes the loop. (laughs) And, And in terms of how he was, he was trying to cope with it. He went home. He tried to follow his father's methods. He tried to pray. He tried to meditate. But every time he does, as you see when he's trying to use his psychic powers to find Fiona, he keeps running into interference because his own emotions keep bubbling up to the surface because they're just that intense and all the ways he's been trying to cope with them on his own just aren't working and it's not until he reaches out to other people and talks to them specifically with Alex that he's able to kind of start putting those feelings aside enough to accomplish the, the things he needs to accomplish the goals that he has for helping other people and she reminds him that just because he's choosing not to fight doesn't mean he can't, you know, use his powers in other ways or find other productive means of contributing to their success. It's very, in some ways, coming back to Kara's stronger together principle. Like, they all bring different strengths to the table. It's Mm -hmm. just a question of finding the right ways to apply them. So, for Jean, who's essentially having, like, his own version of a Martian midlife crisis, (laughs) (laughs) he's really, he's having a very common 
later adulthood struggle where you're trying to repurpose your life because you've had an end of a career. And the way he finally starts to find fulfillment of that is is through reaching out to other people, particularly as like a mentor, which Alex even says, you know, you radiate this feeling of wisdom. Which is true. It is true. And should be said. <laughs> Just watching Space Dad makes you feel better. Um, you, you just ima- I can't imagine what it would be like to be in front of that. Just, just seeing it on your TV is enough. That wisdom energy. <laughs> that wise energy. <laughs> but anyway, so even though he's struggling, he ultimately does manage to find some success because he's, he's refocused on like what's important and mm-hmm. is able to kind of translate that anger into action in a proactive way. Mm-hmm. And see positive results from it. Yes. <laughs> uh, in the same kind of way that, you know, Kara might need that reassurance from external factors that her internal values are the right path. It's true. And then obviously we saw Manchester Black, who was the one who, you know, introduced the Ahimsa concept to Jean. Then because of his anger about Fiona dying, which, you know, she fears herself as she's dying, she says, please don't be angry because she knows that it's a possibility that it would change him back into the man that perhaps he was before he falls back on that anger and he copes by he doesn't really cope he kind of just he regresses falls into it yeah yeah and we see him purchase weaponry he finds the nearest arms dealer (laughs) (laughs) yes and after this process he sort of becomes closer to the character that one might recognize from the comics in terms of what his values are because manchester black in the comics tried to get superman to kill somebody that was how intensely he was not about ahimsa (laughs) right and then he visually also turns into this character because he puts on the union jack t-shirt and then that's the outfit that the character wore in the comics so you know he's british at all times yes so kind of like a really extreme james bond (laughs) yeah sure (laughs) interesting Uh, that's an interesting comparison considering that fiona was fridged in this episode and james bond is not known for treating its female characters well. Yeah, that was a really unfortunate side effect of the way they chose to bring the character into the show. Mm-hmm. They tried to subvert this trope a little bit, but really did not succeed because Fiona's only purpose in the narrative was to serve a male character storyline and bring him into the show. And then once that was done, she died. Mm-hmm. And for a show that's normally pretty good about subverting tropes regarding women that was a little disappointing yeah well we saw this sort of thing happen with Monel where it was obvious that they were trying to subvert things but it didn't work out it just didn't quite <laughs> mistakes were made <laughs> right <laughs> speaking of trying to deviate from a formula and failing <laughs> So Brainy this episode was also dealing with an uncontrollable emotion, which was fear. He was feeling feelings. He was feeling feelings. He's not a robot. He's techno-organic. <laughs> He's techno-organic. He was grappling with fear this episode concerning, you know, Supergirl and her well-being and if he'd be able to come up with a solution. In kind of the same way that we saw in episode two in the pizza shop when... Oh, right. The sadness. Yeah. <laughs> Sad in the pizza shop that he was having trouble with handling that at the same time as handling his responsibilities. Correct. He has kind of a similar conflict here where, you know, Brady's been under more stress than usual, it seems, and is having to deal with emotions being unmanageable. And Lena offers him a way to cope with that. She sure does, Cycles. (laughs) 
Oh, Lena. Oh, Lena. It's a sort of everything in moderation situation. Her advice was helpful in the moment. Yes. However, (laughs) there are some concerns. And while she was giving Brainy advice about how to handle his emotions, she talked about how she was angry that people took the device that she rigged to use for good and then turned it into something pretty objectively bad from her standpoint. Well, and it's interesting, though, that she was angry that they repurpose it for something bad because that was what it was originally made for in the first place. Yeah, which is funny because... You know, we've been talking about this plot point coming up where Lena, something that she creates is used for ill. And it was not as perhaps impactful as it would have been had it been like kryptonite or something that she really was actively involved in creating. Yeah, from the beginning. That was her concept. Like we saw with the personal image inducer, Mm. when it was taken away, it was perhaps worse for aliens than it would have been had they never had it to begin with, because then you're in possibly dangerous situations like we saw with Brainy. Yes. But it also makes sense that they didn't use specifically kryptonite because that seems like a conflict that it would be too soon for. Well, and that's also a conflict that would have been very difficult to handle in this episode with Melissa not there. Yes. (laughs) Also true. That's probably the real reason. Yeah. But I also think in terms of like the arc, you wouldn't want to sort of readdress the kryptonite problem that was at this point, maybe later in the season, it'll come up again. But for now, I guess they just got it off the black market. But then she uses this concept of putting all of her feelings into boxes. Which I laughed at and a few other people picked up on this too. It sounded exactly like this little scene from the Emperor's New Groove about Mm -hmm. sending things away in a box and smashing it with a hammer. Mm-hmm. It was it was similarly like it was eerily similar concerning <laughs> yes and that was from like the song by the villain so awkward <laughs> yes but this like sort of compartmentalization of your emotions in order to be able to handle the task at hand is you know good in the situation if you're like at work or handling an emergency yeah because it's something you'd need to do like for example as a doctor Mm. or if you're in the military or somewhere where you're confronting highly stressful and scary situations but you still need to be able to function yes which you know a character like rainy who she's giving the advice to he may need this idea for the future because of his line of work but (laughs) but the way that she describes it it veers on concerning it like she's like all right put your feelings into a box and shove them into itty bitty boxes and then put them into another box and box all the way down and then forget that they ever existed and that you have feelings. <laughs> Literally, shove them way deep down until you forget that you even had feelings in the first place. It's like, Lena. <laughs> Lena, that doesn't seem healthy. No, it, it doesn't. But that's typical of people who were neglected and abused as children, where a coping mechanism that starts off as a good thing, like you're in a situation that's dangerous for you, where maybe you're being emotionally vulnerable to people who are not going to treat you well after the fact, you want to, you know, stop doing that and stop hurting yourself in that way. But then if you carry that into your adult life, where you hopefully meet people who will not react that same way, it twists into a more negative coping mechanism. Yeah, well, and the other important thing with that is you also have to consider children learn 
coping skills from the adults around them. And True. Lena did not have any good role models whatsoever. No. Remember when she described how Lillian reacted after Lex was taken to jail, where she just shut down and then like cleaned his room or something like that? Yeah. It's like she's taking that same... You're repressing everything. You're treating it like it just didn't even happen and moving on. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, but essentially what happened to Lena, because she was such a young child when she was put into this environment, is she had to come up with her own self-regulation skills when it came to her emotions because she had no role models essentially and then basically she was just learning from experience like which things got a positive and a negative reaction and so this is why her philosophy is repress everything and you'll be fine Uh (laughs) (laughs) like Brady said I feel better Sort of. But I have a feeling that they're planting that there now because it's mm. gonna backfire at some point. I do hope so. This is exactly my area of like what I'm interested in in terms of content psychology <laughs> and, and handling emotions and, you know, what it takes to be an emotionally mature person, which specifically with Lena is kind of a running problem that she has in her relationships and regulating her emotions in general. Yep. Yeah. So she she kind of teaches Brainy to use this coping mechanism that she herself uses for good or bad. And then they eventually do come up with a solution right after Brainy is able to push his personal feelings out of his mind for a minute, which are the nanites, which is cool because that was one of the wild theories that you had last week. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And even the nanites fit into our theme about having emotions because Brainy was very concerned about their anxiety at having to eat kryptonite Mm -hmm. and that he said they were nervous, which I just appreciated, A, for the idea that all of technology has feelings, and B, (laughs) that apparently because Brainy is part robot, I guess, like he's like a, he's an organic computer. I don't know. That's basically just another description of a person. (laughs) (laughs) True. I mean, the original meaning of a computer was like a person who does math, but just the fact that he communes with the technology in order to assess their feelings was really entertaining. And I instantly cared about these <laughs> these little nanites who were trying their best. I did too. They're trying. Maybe maybe they're Jack. Maybe they're infused <laughs> with the spirit of Jack. Jack's soul lives on in these nanites. That's a nice idea. I like it. <laughs> One positive thing that came out of his death. <laughs> Yeah. In a weird way. Like the nanites, we had another character who was experiencing some fear and anxiety. And one of the concepts that I talk a lot about in the meta that I do are core beliefs. And core beliefs in psychology are sort of a tool that maybe a psychologist would use to get down to the base of their patient's issue, like maybe thinking that they're unlovable and then tackling that and seeing how they cope with that idea and trying to counteract that. And I like to apply this to characters because, you know, a realistic character will work the same way a normal human will. And for Alex, she has this core belief of responsibility where she feels responsible like all the time to the point where it becomes a problem in her life and she blames herself for things that happen. That's accurate. Yeah. So I think we talked about this maybe in the sister's podcast because I remember mentioning the article about uh, siblings of 
children with special needs and how one of the problems that they have is feeling like they're overly responsible for the well-being of other people. Yes. And so what we saw in this episode with Alex was a pattern that she's displayed a lot and that she's also talked about having issues with as a kid is she's afraid of failing at things mm-hmm. because she has such high expectations for herself and she's also always had high expectations placed upon her. And when she gets afraid that she's messed up or that she's going to mess up, she has this inclination to fall back on playing by the rules because to her that means she can't make more mistakes Mm -hmm. because like if she's doing everything that she's supposed to do, there's no way she could in theory mess it up. And so that comes to a head in this episode because in her her fear, both of losing Kara and of having her job at risk. And just letting everybody down. Yeah. And then also, you know, she's afraid she's disappointed John and that his judgment of her was poor mm-hmm. and that she's letting down the whole team of the DEO because she's had, you know, these multiple security breaches. She's had two agents under her command become double agents who are working actively with like a terrorist group. And she's recognizing that she doesn't have Jean to shield her from the accountability for that anymore. And she panics, as you would. Um, <laughs> as one might. Well, it, it's, it, I found that really relatable because it, it's one of those those emotions that you encounter as you gain more responsibility in your career and you have to make more kind of executive choices and deal with the repercussions of those choices. And it, it is scary because it, it feels like you're jumping off a diving board, but you're not really sure what you're going to land in at the bottom. Mm. And so you see it come to a head in her argument with Kara because Kara Kara's having her own issues, definitely, which we'll talk about in a minute. But because Kara's deviating from the script, it's putting Alex in an even more difficult position. And Alex lashes out very similarly to how she would in season one, where she's feeling all this pressure that's in her own head and she hasn't talked about it to anybody. So it's just, it feels bigger than it is. And like, there's this weight that she's being crushed by. Yeah, and we see even near the beginning of the episode that she's already feeling the pressure, even though she says that she's fine now to Jean. She then has her first kind of argument with Kara where she tells her to stay back and to not get involved and she says I know what I'm doing which are you are you sure <laughs> are you sure Alex <laughs> yeah seems like maybe you're telling somebody else other than Kara Kara's like I didn't mention that <laughs> well you know what else I appreciated about this aspect of, of Alex reacting and trying to cope out of fear in this episode is it it gives weight to the fact that the conflicts that she had growing up with Eliza were so much more her own perceptions than mm. reality because we also saw her flat out lying to Jean about how things were going out of the fear of disappointing him even though she has no reason to to think he would not support her and want to help her. That's true. And then when they finally do talk to each other, just like we saw in season one, it makes Alex feel better. And then she's able to kind of put things together in her head and accomplish the things she wants to accomplish, which is figuring out how to be a leader in her own way. Mm-hmm. And you had noted that a couple of the characters have this theme of how do we reconcile who we are with who we want to be? And that's sort of her parallel with Sean's issue, which is, you know, he's finding out who he is after leaving the DEO and she's finding out who she is becoming the leader of it. Yes. And then eventually when they do have that conversation, he says, but I prevailed because I trusted my gut and my people. And he tells her to trust her gut, which kind of goes back to Kara's like confusion at Alex and her reaction. Because as much as Kara is going off script in terms of like how things should be done at the DEO, she's not going off script in terms of what they usually do. This is true. But that's because prior to being the boss, 
house, Alex didn't have as much accountability mm-hmm. resting on her yeah. for doing things that she shouldn't be doing. But, it, you know, Jean and Alex have both let Car run out and do what she's going to do, even though there were health concerns. Yeah, that's true. In previous episodes. But because of Alex's state of mind, she's kind of going back to basics as opposed to what their kind of established relationship is, even though perhaps that established relationship is going to change due to Alex's new role. Yes. And that takes us to a Miss Cara Danvers, who, of course, we know that she wasn't as present in this episode because she wasn't there. <laughs> there was a body double in that suit. Yes, there was. At points, you wondered if there was even anyone in there. Yeah, the body double, I'm pretty sure at some points wasn't even a person because it was not breathing. <laughs> I don't I think maybe she was just still. Because <laughs> really it, still. <laughs> it became more obvious that it wasn't Melissa the more that she moved. So maybe that was what True. she was going for. And like her gestures were like a little bit Oh no no, but I'm talking about like just laying on the table. I'm pretty sure there was nobody in that suit. Oh. Well her head like turned, although it didn't turn in frame. Not at all of the times. Mm. Yeah. And we also saw kind of Cara's core belief come up, which I consider to be abandonment. You know, we know she has all these abandonment issues because her mother sent her away in a pod and then she lost everything. And then she also has very connected to that, the fact that she was trapped in a pod and alone for 24 years. And something that I was looking forward to hopefully seeing in this episode was them addressing that idea that Cara might be claustrophobic because we know from season three, episode two triggers that Cara has a history of claustrophobia and having panic attacks because of it uh, when she was younger. And I was hoping that we would see her at least have that panic, even though we might not get a whole lot from her. And they definitely gave me that. They also gave me the um, point of view shot from inside of the suit, which I was hoping for, because it's a nice parallel to the other point of view shot we've gotten for Kara in the series, which was when she was in the pod in that same episode in Triggers. Mm-hmm. And both of them had that sound of her breathing rapidly. So that was a nice callback. And... <laughs> my dream of what would happen. So even though we didn't get a whole lot for her character, there were some nice little touches like at the climax of the episode when they're fighting the Graves twins. Her little smile when she knows that she's ready to like fight without the suit. Well, the part where the suit shuts down and then she can't move Mm. just in terms of tying it back to that claustrophobia. Ah, yes. And then of course we have her take the helmet off and she's free. And then I thought it was an interesting wardrobe choice at the end of the episode in the Danvers sisters couch scene where she was wearing this really loose sweater. Yes, that was a nice catch. Which makes a lot of sense if you've been trapped in what she described as a full body cast, especially if you have, you know, those issues of fearing that kind of confinement. And then in terms of the mechanics of the suit, the fact that she buys a lot of pies because she was sad that the... Oh, right. <laughs> that she destroyed the, the pie stand. I was wondering, like, maybe she couldn't eat that whole time. I know. It's true. Because it was, like, dangerous the whole time that she was in that, so maybe she really couldn't eat and they didn't have a system. Well, and as we discussed in the science episode, it's possible that when she's not expending lots of energy, she doesn't need to take in a lot of energy. Possibly, also true. Yeah. So she might have been okay. Yeah, but I would assume she would need, like, a normal... There's there's gotta be a way for an IV to connect to it or something. Maybe. (laughs) I don't know, because it was, like, an emergency-type situation, so... That's true. 
In any case. Yeah, so that that whole situation was obviously a kind of fear scenario. And even though because Melissa wasn't available, we didn't get a whole lot of scenes tackling it. It was certainly present in the episode that Kara logically would be fearful of that. And a way that she would cope knowing Kara would be to expend energy outward and to try to like be a hero, especially if you tie it back into that concept of abandonment, because at that core moment, when her mother sent her away and abandoned her, she also gave her this great responsibility world on her shoulders sort of thing. So if she's feeling that trapped feeling and maybe being alone since the scenes that we saw her and she was just kind of sitting there in that room like no, no entertainment, just trapped in the suit, staring at a wall. Which sounds great. Sounds fun. It would make sense that she would want to distract herself from that, would want to cope with that situation by going about her heroics. Yes, which then makes a really amusing contrast with our reveal of how uh, Kosny and Kara was handling the kryptonite in the atmosphere. So A, it was nice that they showed it Mm -hmm. because there were people wondering if they'd forgotten about it. And B, her reaction was just this very intense kind of emotionless, I'm ready to go back to training right now. Mm -hmm. Let's do it. Yes. Which is a very Kara thing. (laughs) One track mind, that's Kara. (laughs) In the sense that they both have that like drive. Yeah, like we saw in the Midvale episode, how much Kara, even early on, wanted to be a hero, or who wanted to be a force for whatever her values are, very immediately. It's true. Yeah, so Kazni and Kara and our Kara kind of share that same sentiment of, I might be on life support, but I'm going to fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> One thing we know about this car. They are similar in that. Mm-hmm. And then kind of connecting to that idea of wanting to do heroics, regardless of if it's safe. You had drawn the parallel between Carr and James, mm-hmm. that they both had that same kind of situation. Yeah, they both were demonstrating this kind of same need to go out and help people, even though they knew that it was personally risky and that there were going to be major consequences if something went wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we saw the consequences to Kara in that first fight scene where she gets hit and then almost dies. And it's similarly in the second battle, the suit kept powering down because she was trying to demand too much of it. Mm-hmm. And she just happened to get lucky that the uh, air cleaning system. Well, she also like seemed to listen to them at the end in terms of... True. She was a little bit more careful, I think, the second time around. Yes, and she was actively trying to collaborate with everybody else mm-hmm. to know what the limits were instead of trying to just pretend that they didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Which I think if you want to handle somebody like Kara, working with them is yes. perhaps easier. <laughs> Exactly. We'll have better results. Yeah. And then in a parallel situation with James, he decides to go out and take up his guardian identity and try to help because he knows they're lacking a little bit in manpower because of Kara's limitations, Mm -hmm. which is a really, you know, well-intentioned thing to do. He's her friend. He wants to help her. But so James makes the decision to go, even though Nia kind of cautions him against it, even though Lena's been like off in the DEO being like, I hope he doesn't because that could end poorly. So he goes and he does it and he helps out and he says he's willing to deal with the consequences and he's anticipating legal consequences or confinement, which was one of 
the things Kara had to deal with. Mm. And at the end, when Lena's back and Lena's like, I can't believe you did that. And he's like, you know, it's kind of weird. Nobody even really seemed concerned about it. In fact, the opposite happened. They were kind of happy about it. Too happy. And yeah. So we had discussed that this would kind of play out this way. Mm-hmm. And poor Nia comes in like, yeah, it's because you're trending and not in a good way. And so plot twist, the reason that James is not suffering any negative consequences of the kind he cared about mm-hmm. is because he's suffering a different unintended negative consequence of becoming a new poster child for terrible terrorist people. Mm-hmm. Yay! <laughs> and this is an interesting case of the kind of privilege, the fact that he got out of being arrested very specifically because he's a human. Well, and it's also an interesting example of intersectionality, but also how the power dynamics with, in, with regard to race and ethnicity work in the United States. The way that we as a society keep the people on the bottom oppressed is by fragmenting the groups of minorities who would otherwise be unified mm-hmm. and choosing one group to like push to the bottom so that everybody else can feel like they're at least a little bit better off. Yeah. And so it's particularly interesting for James as a black man to A, get out of any legal consequences for his actions in a case where the media had clearly been spinning him as like this really stereotypical like dude who breaks the law and is like punching people mm-hmm. and are like, well, he is human and not an alien. Yeah. So we'll take it. Which is really the perfect case scenario for our villains of the episode because they're trying to instill fear and like by making the aliens be violent and attack the children and then having another alien show up, Supergirl wouldn't be quite the message that they're going for, that crystal clear us versus them message. Exactly. So by having James show up and be acting as a vigilante and a hero in his own right, it gives them a figurehead to rally around even though he has no involvement with their movement whatsoever and doesn't want to be part of it Mm -hmm. it's kind of like the way the alt-right co-opted pepe the frog ouch i mean (laughs) true it's true innocent pepe poor pepe And I thought that perhaps in terms of like coping with the situation, then his friend has been hurt and isn't doing well. And, you know, people need help. If you're going to cope with a situation like that, it's often a good thing to go and, and act. But both with James and Kara, they had not personal consequences, but consequences that are what they really care about in the first place, which is concerning others. And then on a kind of related note, we also got the introduction of our last new regular character, And so we got the introduction of Colonel Haley, who is going to be coming in as a regular for the season and who is there to act as an oversight management on Alex and the DEO because of all the setbacks that she's been having. Mm -hmm. And there were some interestingly strong reactions of saying that like the president was too mean or like really harsh in both his conversation with Alex and in the decision to send someone to the DEO to kind of keep tabs on what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But I've had a couple of those conversations while working with uh, government related officials. So I laughed at that scene (laughs) because been there. Um, So personal example, one time when I was working overseas, I accidentally screwed up something that could have had ramifications for hundreds of people 
and got chewed out by the section head at the embassy. So it's not a fun experience, but it happens because somebody needs to impress upon you that when you, as a public servant, make a mistake, it can impact lots of other people. Mm-hmm. And also everything that you do is being paid for by tax dollars contributed by all of the citizens of the country. So you don't just get to do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you really have to understand. Alex, to this point, is still very accustomed to kind of like, she'll do what Jean tells her, but she'll also just do other things when (laughs) she feels like doing other things, particularly if Kara encourages her. Mm. (laughs) The two of them playing off of Colonel Haley would be something. Oh, man, that could get very entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) But in terms of the, I think people are used to seeing like a president character be this like person perfect guy, typically, or like perfectly composed. Where you see that public face where they're where they're being reassuring to the public. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and even in fiction, you know, and, and situations like this, it's usually more like President Morriston was. Right? Like, oh, yeah. Well, you think about in, was it the end of season two, Alex was supposed to fire the cannon mm-hmm. and didn't, and then didn't really face any consequences for that, that we know of. Yep. And like, Considering the risk. (laughs) Yeah, that was a bigger crisis than this was. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that was just a neat segue into introducing that character by explaining what the consequences were of Kara's decision, which obviously Alex didn't have control over what Kara did. But Kara, particularly for someone who in her day job works in media, hasn't necessarily been thinking through all of the ways that Supergirl matters as a public figure and as a figure that stands in opposition to Agent Liberty and his kind of fear mongering about aliens. And the president says that he's like, you know, people look at her as a symbol of hope. We can't have her die out there in the middle of the crisis that (laughs) isn't going to help anything. Mm -hmm. Kara can be very pragmatic when it comes to making like decisions that she thinks about, but she doesn't often have that situation where she's like, who I am as a hero is more important to stay alive than me intervening in this scenario. Yeah, and some of it, in, she, in this in this way, she still is very much a young adult, is that <laughs> she, she thinks about what will do the most good in kind of like the immediate or the short term. Mm. But she doesn't, and this is where in season one you had Kat as the mentor to kind of help her with this, she doesn't think about the long-term impact of herself and her legacy on the broader public. Like, she thinks about her the effects that she has on the people close to her, but she only confronts the way other people think about her when it's kind of put in front of her face. Yeah, kind of like in the episode Alex in 2019 when... Alex presents to her the fact that if she goes and and breaks this person out of prison, then Supergirl will be compromised. And then in that scenario, when it's put in front of her face and like she's made to consider the consequences, then she'll make typically the choice that is what she thinks will be the greater good. Yes. But it's not always present in her mind. No. So on that note, I really would like Nia to become Supergirl's social media and reputation manager. (laughs) That'd be fun. It would be. And then we get to see like Supergirl Instagramming and (laughs) eating pies. (laughs) Exactly. Pie eating contest. Speaking of eating pies. So in terms of coping mechanisms, Kara definitely actually demonstrated some of the best ones (laughs) in in terms of them being like healthy and pro-social. Yeah. Which, you know, she, she did the things that she usually does, which is lean on the people around her, Mm -hmm. 
and console herself with food. <laughs> yes. Just a, a fun fact that you had noted that perhaps we know what Alex's favorite pie is now. It's true. Well, because we know Kara has some yeah. intense feelings about chocolate, chocolate pecan, pecan pie. pie. As is right and good. <laughs> and then you were like, do we think Kara actually baked all those pies or not? Because it would have been pretty difficult to bake six. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe whoever had the pie stands, she wanted to give them like... Compensate them for the loss. <laughs> yeah, give them some I really... Of- All right. Now I really like the idea that Kara as Supergirl goes around with like her stipend from the DEO and just like gives money to all the different like food trucks that get damaged <laughs> or lose business uh. because of crises throughout the city. Yeah. Well, and we know that she sometimes gets free pizzas and stuff. So yeah. maybe she offered to pay for all the pies and got to take some home. I like that. There we go. And then she and then she heated them all to the perfect temperature with her magic eyes. <laughs> and in terms of you mentioned, you know, leaning on the people around her. I thought a nice touch of the episode was with her relationship with Alex when Cara's laying on the table and having a panic attack after she wakes up in the suit and Alex says, Look at me and she's staring into the like opaque helmet where she can't actually see Cara's face to know that her eyes are closed. She still knows to say to look at her. I thought that was a nice kind of sister touch in an episode that was kind of there are a lot of Danvers sister scenes. But there was very visual distance between them. Yeah. Some barriers. (laughs) Which, speaking of that, it was one thing in terms of structure of the episode. Not having Melissa there contributed to this kind of almost like emotional distance within the episode. Mm -hmm. it, It was a strange episode to watch because all of the different character beats were really solid, but the the pacing of it was strange. Yeah. Strange is the best way to put it, I think. I don't know how to really... The rhythm of it just... Re- it didn't flow with the same kind of energy that it normally does. Yeah. I wonder if it, if they struggled to edit it. Oh, you mean in terms of like putting all the different pieces together? Yeah, because sometimes pacing can like really suffer. Hmm, that's a good point. That could be more of an editing issue. Because like all the different pieces of the episode fit together narratively. Like they all had coherent connections and themes of across all the the storylines but it just it felt like all the different characters were kind of detached and just occasionally crossing paths i don't know how to explain it (laughs) it was an interesting episode it was my other probably criticism of this is a storytelling criticism for the episode was just that too many of the conflicts were resolved too conveniently oh well like obviously we already knew jean was a, a telepath and that um fiona was an empath so it made sense that that happened but like at the end where jean and manchester are coming for the van for some inexplicable reason in, the transmission doesn't work and it can't drive anywhere and that's just never explained so Jensen can't get away so he just takes the parasite worm with him and then how does Agent Liberty whose day job was a history professor know how to jury rig all this weird alien science in the first place when he hates aliens I have questions <laughs> yeah well it wouldn't have been like mercy and well maybe but yeah that's true because then after that, he just kind of, what, he takes the parasite out and puts it in the guy's ear. Yeah, but he's the one who takes it out of the jar and puts it in the magic contraption that makes it work in the first place. And then also, how does having parasite make him able to control Fiona's telepathy with a Bluetooth earpiece? That part was a, oh, hmm. a little confusing. <laughs> <laughs> but then they were able to break the hold of it because they broke the connection to her and not to the earpiece thing so 
I don't know. There were certain things that were a little strange. Hmm. <laughs> it had nice scenes. <laughs> it did. Like, no, the character work in the episode was fantastic. And it was interesting looking at the people who, who wrote this episode and then looking at their previous episodes they've been credited on because there were some very similar kinds of character issues that came up, particularly with regard to, like, Kara and Alex being in contention with each other. Mm-hmm. And also with doing some kind of more detailed character work for Jean. So it didn't surprise me that all of that stuff was really solid. It was just without Kara there to do like the action scenes and then everybody else for various reasons not wanting to participate in the fighting. Mm -hmm. There was just like a little bit of a weird energy void. Yeah, it's like bad timing (laughs) in terms of Melissa not being available for right when all of these arcs are leading in directions of not being engaged directly into like the battles of the episode. Yeah. I mean, I'm not necessarily complaining that there was less action in it because you can definitely tell a compelling story where you have an enemy that's not one that you need to punch. Mm-hmm. It was just the rhythm in this episode. It, it was like it struggled to find a rhythm mm-hmm. and I don't think it ever quite got there. Yep. But in terms of highlights of the episode. Yeah, there were quite a few. We saw who we talked about Manchester Black, who we'll be seeing a lot more of apparently, which is exciting because he's an interesting character. He is. I'm excited to see what they do with him and how they're going to maintain or deviate from his comic book story. Mm-hmm. Already, I, I mean, I didn't read the comics, but in terms of sort of character beats and, and looking into comics history, he seems a lot more like fleshed out and just personally interesting than I would have found him to be in these other iterations. Yeah. And then one of the other things that was interesting in this episode, because you mentioned this as being very striking in 403, was um, Agent Liberty's decision to specifically target people's kids. Yes. Kind of tying in that whole idea of the youth of National City and how they're affected both in their minds and and ideologically. And in this episode, they're physically at risk. And Agent Liberty is very cognizant of the importance of children in the construct of National City and how everyone's minds work and how to manipulate people. Which makes absolute sense, given that his former day job was is an educator. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, he has been Lockwood goes up against Kara and James and Nia as journalists because he also has his own understanding of human behavior and how to make an impression on people, Mm -hmm. which we also talked about last week. And we did get the uh, synopsis of some of the upcoming episodes and we will be seeing more of that where his public speaking charm and Kara's go up against each other. Mm Mm-hmm. I I hope that they lean more into the psychological effects that Agent Liberty as a figure can have as opposed to the strange attempt at kind of dealing with the technology that you were just talking about. (laughs) Play to his strengths in a way. Yep. Oh, and speaking of that, in case you missed it while you're watching or depending on how you watched it, the posts that were showing James as the guardian of liberty, many of them had Ben Lockwood as the author. So Mm, Interesting. So whether our heroes recognize it or not, he's actually technically setting them against each other, at least in the public eye. Mm, Interesting. And then in this episode, we also saw Alex give a speech. She did. And she did it so nicely. Yeah. Which, have we ever seen her give a speech that wasn't like an emotional declaration to a hologram? (laughs) The only 
time she ever did something really big like that, I think, was in the Black Mercy episode in season one, and that was specifically to Kara. Mm, we sure. don't really get too much of Alex voicing how she thinks about things to like people in general. Yeah, so this is interesting in terms of maybe stepping out of her comfort zone. Yep. So even Alex will be giving speeches in this season four speech season. Yes. And then our last quick comment was we got a little bit more hinting at Nia and how her powers work because we saw her again sleeping at her desk. But there was also this nice setup where we saw multiple energy drinks and coffee cups like she was trying to stay awake. Mm. I wonder if she's like unnaturally being forced to sleep because of her powers. Uh Oh, like if it works like narcolepsy or something. (laughs) Maybe. But and that she was actively trying to prevent it from happening. And that's why she had all the energy drinks and the coffee. Indeed. And he is interesting because she, I get the sense that we're seeing like the setup of a secret identity story, but we don't know that they have a secret identity. Oh, yeah. That would be really funny to see what that looks like from everyone else's point of view who who isn't in on the secret. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of fun because I don't think I've ever seen that before where a superhero has been having their powers and trying to use them in one way or another, but it's not obvious to the characters that this show is mostly focused on. So Well, and it's also fun in the sense that you have two superheroes who are living secret identities, both trying to achieve the same goals without telling each other that they exist, Mm. which could lead to some really entertaining overlaps. That would be the funniest thing. That's kind of like what I wanted to happen. Well, what some people wanted to happen in uh, season three with Rain Mm. in terms of them both like running off to go and then be superheroes. Be like, wait a minute. (laughs) I know you. I've got to go. I also have to go (laughs) and on that note and looking into the future the next episode is called parasite lost which is a play on the title of paradise lost it is which if you're not familiar with it because you've never had to read it in college or high school philosophy class it is a 17th century extremely long english poem that details thoughts about good and evil (laughs) and as you can tell by the title we're also going to see parasite come back yeah oh parasite which it'll be interesting to see how they handle making a situation we've had before stay interesting yeah because i was already we were talking about this before we started recording i was already kind of like why would they send supergirl to fight it when she almost died the last time she fought it and she knew that touching her touching it would make it extra strong yeah but then you were like maybe she doesn't Didn't know realize yet until but then that makes what alex said in the promo funny because she says this is one monster that she can't fight which obviously that must be cut from a different portion of the episode that comes <laughs> after Kara attempting to confront it <laughs> well i would yeah, hope because <laughs> one never knows because i mean a obviously like she has fought this before yes, she did she even destroyed it with the was it plutonium yeah uranium some kind of radioactive material yeah. maybe they'll have another reason that she can't do that again or something maybe it'll he'll just be smarter than that <laughs> well but my my other issue with it is um it was stolen from the deo so why would they not be on the lookout for it in the first yeah, place good point well maybe uh colonel haley will pick up <laughs> On that. Maybe. Maybe our questions will be answered in the next episode because that keeps happening. That's true. <laughs> it is true. They're doing a good job of answering our They are anticipating our questions. Mm-hmm. And then another thing I thought was funny in terms of this is one monster she can't fight. There's there's one every week. <laughs> 
it's that true. she at least fails once fighting. I know, uh, but but then that's been true since the beginning, like with Reactron and some of the other yeah. So villains, it's just not interesting or it's not as much fun if she just wipes the floor with them every week. <laughs> yeah. Although sometimes it would be nice. It's, it is. It is occasionally nice. Yeah. But there's this idea, like at least in show where Supergirl's invulnerable, but like every week she has a coma. So <laughs> <laughs> like <Poor> Kara. <laughs> Kara has her yearly coma. <laughs> and and why the, the sort of kryptonite debate wasn't as convincing. Didn't we double check and she actually does get knocked unconscious for a reasonable length of time at least once yeah. per season. Literally there's the, the Black Mercy episode. Yeah. Season what was the two? Oh, the uh Music Meister. Yes, in the crossover. Season, season three, three was obviously the coma when Rain beat her up. Physically beaten into a coma. <laughs> <laughs> and this time it was Curse Night, so Yay. <laughs> I look forward to next year. I can't wait to see what other torture they can come up with. <laughs> uh, we're, we're just here for emotional torture, guys. When is it going to be someone else on the show's turn to be stuck temporarily in a coma? <laughs> Maybe Nia, the uh, the dreamer, will be in a coma. True. She's stuck in a dream. That'd be sad, though, because she's a new character. I'm talking about, like, we never we never have conflicts where, like, Jean or Alex are in. True. We got almost stuck in a um, coma type thing. Remember? And then Jean went into her mind. Oh, right. Yeah. To help her out. But she, again, was, like, a side character. I'm talking about, like, yeah. a regular who Kara relies upon. <laughs> uh, Everyone died a little for a little bit last season. Everyone, everyone did die a little. Everyone but Alex, which makes it funnier. Um, True. Maybe she couldn't have taken that at that point in her I life. I mean, the closest the closest they came was the Alex episode, and that episode was horrible on a plot level. <laughs> and also, in some ways, on a characterization level. True. Speaking of episodes that didn't subvert bad tropes about mm. ladies, that was definitely one. <sighs> <laughs> season two mistakes were made mistakes were made i hope that and also in terms of the next episode i hope that alex has some sort of confrontation with jensen well in terms of confronting i wonder if we'll get to see alex do a little bit more uh, motivational speaking mm. to people who aren't Kara. i would enjoy that although since it seems like mercy and otis are wrapped up as far as their piece of the bigger storyline i get the feeling that jensen's on his way out as well Mm, perhaps. Also, somebody uh, shared this to me yesterday. Apparently, there's a Jensen character from the comics who does become Parasite. So, Oh, he was always makes... going to end there. I guess so. The Easter egg was Alex, there. Alex, you couldn't have done anything. Alex, it's too late. <laughs> Alex, it's not your fault. He was always going to turn into Parasite. It's true. But I, would, I just want to see something in terms of her, maybe if she feels responsible or if she's angry about, I don't know. It would just be a nice emotional thing. I mean, thing. I would... I would assume we'll get that we'll get some of that. Yes. Well, in terms of last episode, I hoped that we would have. Oh, a, you're just saying your things. Some panic within the suit, and for this next episode, I hope that we have that for Alex. Me too. There's a new a combination of just new writers on the next episode, so it'll oh, be that'll be fun. Anyway, so we don't have any clever segues for you this week, but if you have any follow up comments, questions, or suggestions, please feel free to send them to us at Supergirls Attic on Tumblr. Twitter, or Instagram. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.